the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Easter weekend to those that celebrate. Took a few days off here, spent some time on the beach with the family. Appreciate you letting me have a break. We're back. And so is the money for defensive tackles. I'm going to start right there, right off the top. Jeffrey Simmons, the outstanding young defensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans, gets bag on a team that probably has no business handing it out. But this is just one of those generational talents. You just pay and you deal with it. He's a core player. He's shown flashes of Aaron Donald, Chris Jones at times. He's been on a defense that's been banged up. A couple of bad signings, a couple of bad uh, players that were let to walk away. I think it was mismanaged to some degree. They're going to try to fix this thing from the defense out in Tennessee. That's Mike Vrabel's moniker. You can tell that's the new GM's moniker. You can tell. I expect a heavy defensive draft. They're going to let some of those offensive weapons and the quarterback sort of expire. That's just the way this is going to go. Derrick Henry, if he's not traded, is going to be to play out this contract year. Ryan Tannehill is going to play out this contract year. Um, you know, they're kind of nickel and diamond in the, the weaponry in terms of tight ends and, and wide receivers. You can you can see what's happening. They're going to slow this pace down. They're going to try to build this team back up on the defensive side of the ball. And Simmons is a massive part of this. We don't have the structure just yet. We know enough to know this is a dangerous contract in terms of taking things to the next step. It is four years, 94 million new money. You can tack on that fifth year option of 10 and change to put this thing over 100 million over the next five seasons. 66 million of that is guaranteed. I would imagine for the most part, that's fully guaranteed over the next two marches, which means we're talking three for 66. That's 22 a year. It's 23 and a half. When you talk about the new money average, that's top five, man. I mean, that's, that's Aaron Donald. That's Deron Payne. That's DeForest Buckner. That's all the big boys. Javon Hargave clocked in at about 21 million this year. If you can move along that defensive line and get to the quarterback and stop the run and hold the edge, you are going to get 20 million plus right now. That's just where we're headed. So uh, this is actually a little bit under where we had him valued. This is a player I think that can transcend on the right team. So you get him to take a little bit of a break. Make sure uh, you plug up some of those guarantees. This is a 70% guarantee again. All right. That's what we're seeing with these, with these defensive linemen. I'm, uh, a position that if you're a one-trick pony, you're under $10 million a year. You're in the fives to sevens. You know That's the Shelby Harris's of the world where you can bounce around to a couple of teams. You're not going to make the league minimum. You know, you're going to make a healthy couple million to play for one season. But that's where the gap is right now. If you're elite, you're approaching $30 million a year. And if you're you know, sort of a run-of-the-mill, still a stable player, certainly a valuable player, you're under 10. So it's a it's a weird market right now. And, I, and I'm interested to see how many teams focus on it in the draft to try to grab value on this rookie contract situation, because I feel like even, you know, and there's a couple obviously with some red flags, but even if you're taking somebody in the middle of the first round, you're, you're talking about a four for $15 million contract right now, four for 16. That's phenomenal value for four plus years of a versatile defensive lineman when you're talking about where this market is headed. There's still three guys left to go. All right. We've seen Payne. We've seen Simmons. And uh, there's a few left in the, in the docket still here. Quinn Williams is the big one for the Jets. And the Jets are obviously have, you know, their mind focused on quarterback right now. 
uh, as they work back and forth with the Roder situation, a story that is not worth talking about because it doesn't matter who has the leverage. <laughs> okay, this is about do you want twenty twenty three draft picks or not, and are you going to protect me in twenty twenty four if you're the if you're the Packers to the Jets? That's it. That's going to get done at some point in time. Quinn Williams deserves a bigger deal than what we just talked about on all courts. Now it's been a slow process, but that's the Jets. You know, you can only do so much with the roster that's around you. This is not a one, you know, an individual sport. This is a team sport. And, and you're talking about 11 to 15 guys on a defense that have to work in unison. And until they hit massively on the, on the last couple of drafts, this was a defunct roster. And you see what happens when there are weapons, especially in the passing defense that can hold the fort down for these, for the jets, what a player like Quinn Williams can be throughout a full season. Uh, phenomenal 2022. He certainly picked the right time to become extension eligible. Uh, this is where we're headed. It's a $9.6 million fifth year option that he's set to play on. I don't believe the Jets will allow him to do that after a 12 sack, 50 tackle, two forced fumble season. Uh, really the preeminent player right now in terms of age versus production in the league at this position. This is a guy that now values upwards of $27 million a year in our system. Now, we had... Jeffrey Simmons at about 26 and he settled for 23 and a half with 66 guaranteed. Let's just say this goes to 24 for Quinn and Williams. Let's say it's, you know, around the four for 96 mark. If we just take 70% of that, you know, we're in a really good spot, a really good spot in terms of approaching 70 million, maybe even 75 million practically guaranteed for a defensive lineman. That's excellent, excellent work. Uh, for a long time, this was edge rusher or bust, top cornerback or bust in terms of defensive spending. It looks like, and you can understand it, that with quicker release points from the quarterback, with trying to keep guys contained, especially as running quarterbacks become more prevalent in this league, you want the interior defenders and consequently the interior offensive linemen to become more valuable. You just need it. You need to get to the quarterback faster. There's not a lot of way to do that from the edge. So a player like Williams and uh, Dexter Lawrence, the other side of New York there for the Giants, they're going to be the next two. And I don't think there's going to be much waiting time here. Quinn Williams' market has been set. It was foundationed with Deron Payne's 22.5. It was reset with Jeffrey Simmons' 23.5. The 70% guarantee appears to be the price point. So if you're approaching $100 million, you, know, you, you can you can do the math on where we're headed here. And then there's Chris Jones. <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, right? Maybe the second best defensive lineman of this generation, not named Aaron Donald. He's got he's entering a contract year with the Chiefs, a team that, you know, can't just be throwing out million dollars left and right. I don't think you're gonna see him hold out or do anything crazy like that, but he's certainly reading the room right now. And he was identified as an extension candidate even, even before these young kids started to pile it on. So let's just say Quinn Williams does go $25 million a year for four, four for 100. A nice round number, 75 fully guaranteed. Let's just say it because I think we're getting there. It's a New York market. It's a team on the rise. They're going to be paying their quarterback a hell of a lot of money over the next year or two. But you want to establish this defense. You don't want to lose what could become the crux and the core of a really good Jets team now for a couple of years. So let's just say Quinn Williams gets top of the market back. Chris Jones is 29. He's 28 and change, going to be 29 by the time the season starts. It's not really a red flag when you look at the production. The production has not dipped. 
All right. And they've taken players away. They've added pieces next to him. You know, I don't think Frank Clark's going to be there now on his edge. So there's going to be a little bit of a gap and maybe some youth and inexperience that's going to have to fill in the blanks. But, you know, this is a guy that went 15 and a half sacks last year, folks. All right. Uh, tied for his career high. 44 tackles, two forced fumbles. He's just lighting it up. He's filling up the board kind of quietly speaking. He's had his ups and downs in the playoffs, as you know. This is not a guy you want to mess around with. He's carrying a $28.2 million cap hit right now. That's one of the top defensive cap hits in all of football. He's got a nice round $19.5 million base salary that you can do a lot with, right? You can turn that into a signing bonus. You can do a lot of damage with that just alone. And there's a $500 workout bonus to go with it. So you can take $20 million from this 2023 salary, convert it to a bonus, tack on three or four years as needed, and make this thing look like four for 100 pretty easily. You know, Now, is he approaching the $30 million mark? You know, Aaron Donald's at 31 and change. He's sort of the unicorn in this room. But Chris Jones has to be in that conversation, okay? This is not normal for a defensive tackle to have 15 and a half sacks twice in a career and not be paid accordingly for it. You know, that wouldn't be the, the way we do business if I'm the NFLPA. So this mid-20s that we're talking about for some of these younger players, that's breakout price. Chris Jones has already broken out, all right? And now a third contract is difficult and sticky for a lot of positions not named quarterback. But I think this guy is a, a unicorn light, right? He is the anomaly light version of Aaron Donald. He's done enough. He's been on a good roster. He's not doing this. He's not padding stats on a bad franchise. He's doing this on one of the best franchises in all of football. His actual calculated value, just mathematically speaking, is 30 on the dot, four for 120. I don't know why he would take any less. If you can take 20 million from this year, convert it, and start the contract over fresh, I don't know why you wouldn't, that wouldn't be the contract. That, that, that seems absolutely prudent. If anything, it's foundational for what he deserves. Um, he's younger than Aaron Donald. There's a lot to be said there about where the Rams are going versus where the Chiefs are and are con- going to continue to be over the next two to three seasons and his value to it. So I, we can separate ourselves from Dexter Lawrence, even from Quinn and Williams and the Simmons and the Paynes of the world, because I think Jones belongs in his own tier. Maybe not to the tier of Aaron Donald, which is 31 and change, almost 32 million a year, 95 practically guaranteed. But this is where Jones belongs. You know, I believe that 30 number is, is appropriate for him. We haven't seen other defensive players get there yet. I think this is the right guy to do it. Before Nick Bosa attempts to do it off the edge in San Francisco, before some of these other young guns grow into where this is certainly headed as the cap continues to rise. But let's say we keep that 70% guarantee established. We're talking 85 million. That's a lot of enchiladas, right? And if we're talking about maybe half of that fully guaranteed at signing for escrow purposes and for cash purposes for the Chiefs, I think that's something everybody can live with. So let's just say that over the next three seasons, this guy's 84 for three. That's 28 million a year. Again, that slots him properly between Donald and where I think these young guys are getting their second contracts for the next couple of months. I think that's about right. So four for 20 on its face, three for 84 from a stable practicality standpoint. Sounds about right. And Chris Jones seems to be worth every single dollar of it. All right, let's stay with the NFL, but switch gears just a little bit. I want to run through a quick list of names that could potentially be the best available remaining free agents in the NFL as we approach the draft. It is draft season. Twitter's intolerable in that, in that regard. 
uh, let's put some facts out here, which is players that deserve to be paid, deserve to be on, on a new team or are back to their current team. And uh, for one reason or another, have not yet agreed to terms. Let's start with the wide receiver position and get this out of the way. It is, of course, Odell Beckham Jr. Look, you, you can't. I know there's a lot of flair with this and there's a lot of drama with this, but this guy really was a major factor in that Rams championship run. He was. Uh, he elevated Stafford's game. He was a phenomenal second or third option in an offense. If that's what he needs to be, A, he doesn't need $15 million a year to be that, even though $30 million is the new market. You know, Let's talk about Juju Smith-Schuster. Let's talk about one for eight, one for nine, that, that can become 12 to 15 if everything goes right. That's where this has to be, okay? There's just too many injuries and too much, too many red flags on this situation to go even north of that. Uh, no, no, no matter what we, we t- see him trying to negotiate in Twitter or, or talk himself into or out of. That's where this has to be. This also has to be the Ravens, okay? I know the Chiefs have been linked, the Bills have been linked, the Cowboys have been linked. All those teams have better options. They just really do. They have better ways to fill in their blanks at what should be a, a thinner price point. Now, money in the Ravens is a sticky situation right now in terms of the discussion points of it, not so much what they're spending. Because, oh, by the way, we track cash, not just cap on Track. The Ravens are currently set to spend the 25th most cash in the NFL, and that includes Lamar Jackson's franchise tag. So... If I, if I roll it back to 2022, I've said this before on this show, I'm going to say it again right now, okay? They were 20th in 2022 in cash spending. They were 20-something the past two years before that. They just don't do it. They don't put themselves into the top 15, the top 10 of spending ever, 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 ever. And they've had a rookie quarterback contract to continue that process in their favor. They can stand a $10 million contract for Odo Beckham Jr. They can fit it in. And by the way, they need that kind of presence, even if he's not available for 17 weeks, which, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the world that believes that's probably going to happen. But when we're talking about the wide receiver court that they have, Devin DuVernay, Rashad Bateman, Nelson Aguilar, right? Andy Isabella, a lot of patterns, a lot of, you know, out, out patterns, a couple of go routes. They need a guy that can win the ball in the air, that has done it before, that has done it in, in the playoffs, because this is a team that expects to be contending if Lamar's the quarterback. And for right now, Lamar's the quarterback, assuming he at some point signs this tag. It also looks good for this franchise. Right? Mark Andrews isn't a $14 million tight tight end. He's not. Okay. He's great. He's an above average tight end. He cannot be your single one entity the way that Travis Kelsey can be for Kansas City. He just can't. They need options. They need weapons. The running backs have not been able to stay healthy, so you haven't been able to rely on that part of the offense. Long story short, Odell Beckham Jr. is not worth 15 a year. He is worth an incentive-laden one-year contract. If you want to make it two and make it non-guaranteed in year two, that's perfectly fine. But Baltimore has to be the pick for a lot of reasons. A, they need it, regardless of who the quarterback is. And B, it's a really good way to, to get Lamar Jackson to sign this tag at some point in time. All right? Bring in a guy who can get in this guy's grill and say, look, I'm here. Things are going to shake, shake up a little bit. We've got a new offensive coordinator. They can plan some things now that look a little simpler from your standpoint. You don't have to be this run-and-gun type of guy on an offense that's just trying to throw guys down the sideline and hope that shit sticks, okay? Because that's what it's looked like for Baltimore for a lot of years here. It's been successful. I'm not trying to knock this, this organization from a football standpoint, 
but they deserve to do better, and their their backs are against the wall right now with Lamar. There's no question about it. Lamar has the leverage. He cannot sign this deal, this tag, at any point in time, punt on the $32 million cash, and make Tyler Huntley be the quarterback for this franchise. And that's where we may be headed if they don't shape up a little bit. And I do believe Odell Beckham Jr. is a way for them to start that process. The offensive line. Dalton Risner was let go of Denver. Denver brought in three gigantic offensive line contracts, and they're going to continue to do so with the draft. You can see that's the focal point with Russell Wilson and that new Sean Payton run system. Risner is a, he's a strong player. And oh, by the way, uh, I do think that Sean Payton's old team should be the one to sign him. The Saints need help. Uh, you know, they're keeping some players around. They've got a center that's going to need some serious money here in the next couple of months. They just let Tarrant Amstead rock. They, they kept, kept Andres Pete for some God for awful reason on a restructured contract. They need some stability. And Risner's not the best guard in football. He doesn't have to be paid that way either. So you bring him in on a two-year, I don't know, 15 to $17 million contract. Make it work from a cap perspective with Boyd years as the Saints are going to do at any point in time. And let's see how this ticks. A couple of edge rushers, Yannick Ngakwe, Janavian Clowney, Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, all getting up there a little bit, all productive. You know, is this going to be in the four to five million range? Yep, probably for everybody, even Clowney. Clowney has had eight to $10 million production at time. He can't, he can't do it for 17 weeks. He's just not that kind of player anymore. Maybe he never was. But uh, for teams that kind of swing and miss on the edge in the draft, and there'll be a bunch of them out there, there's going to be some impactful players like this just latching on at the last minute. You know, the Giants, the Bills, they could use this kind of uh, you know, attack on production at some point in time. Even the Bears, I would say, have to get involved at some point, stabilize that side of the ball so that Justin Fields can at least have a chance to catch a breath every now and then and then NFC North. And then we got a couple of cornerbacks, Rocky Singh, Marcus Peters fell off of Baltimore and uh, the Raiders respectively. They can really get some things done right now. And if they're looking for depth in that position, if you swing and miss in the draft in the next couple of weeks, no reason those players shouldn't latch on to four to five million dollar contracts in the next couple of weeks as well. Okay, a little bit of baseball to get us going here. It's uh, I don't know about a week in here, two weeks, almost two weeks now. I got vacation just made things fly by and the Mets have been a 500 team. So I'm sort of up and down with the way things have started, even though, by the way, the rules, they're all phenomenal. Maybe a little too fast paced. I feel like if I'm sitting in the stands and I haven't done it yet, I'm, I, I feel like I'm missing things at this point in time. Uh, could, could be, could be maybe add two seconds, add four seconds. I'm not trying to nitpick too much. I'm, I'm just honestly saying, obviously the, the regiment of it is working. There's no question about it. I love seeing guys standing in the batter's box, you know, not doing the routines that they've been doing now for 10, 12 years. That's working, but it does feel like, and maybe there's, the health side of this too, a safety issue from pitcher standpoint, feels like we're pushing the envelope a little bit too much at this level, you know? So we'll see if that's something that's addressed over the next couple of seasons after some data really comes back from it. But it's been a great start. The ball's flying out. We've had some cancellations, as you will in April, but the Rays are 7-0, and the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Dodgers and all those usual suspects, the Braves, all doing what they're expected to be doing right now. I'm going to flip the switch a little bit because it's a new season. There's been plenty of new contracts that we've talked about, extensions, young extensions, free agent deals. Had a huge, almost $3 billion free agency. So we talked plenty about those kind of deals. I wanted to step back a little bit and just talk about some negativity. Not in a bad way, but we've got some low-hanging fruit sitting out there in the league. 
that just doesn't get talked about enough because you sign a deal in, the, in Major League Baseball, and if you aren't exceptional and, and still in the spotlight, you can just kind of fade away, right? And make your guaranteed money and make a hell of a lot of guaranteed money and just have a career. And that's wonderful. And I love that baseball offers that opportunity after six years of service time. But let's look at some contracts that are certainly not holding their weight. Most of these are injury-based. Nothing we can do about it, but they are what they are. They're fully guaranteed contracts. You have to start with Steven Strasburg in this regard. Uh, he did his job. He helped push that Nationals team to a 20, 2019 World Series, sort of unbelievably. Signed a seven-year, $245 million contract in free agency thereafter. The Nats brought him back. They knew his history with the arm, kind of starting out of the gate, right? This was a guy throwing 102 miles an hour in minor league baseball, something I actually saw in person a few times. And uh, you knew there was going to be a breaking point at some point. Well, 2019 was that breaking point because since then, it's been eight starts, not even 40 innings. And there's a realistic chance he never plays baseball again, never pitches again. That's just where things are. It's been injury after injury. That arm has never properly healed. It may never properly heal. And it may not be worth his time to try and get out there and do it again from a health and life standpoint. There's four years, $140 million left on it. And that's his. That's certainly his. So uh, this is one of those, just put your hands up and, and hope for the best. Again, I don't think he pitches ever again. So this is $140 million that Washington's going to have to eat and or they eat half of it, most of it, and and try to ship this off and see what they can get back for it. You're just stuck in the mud. Unfortunately, the Nationals are going to be a massive theme for this segment. (laughs) So if you're a Nats fan, A, you already know this, and B, there's not much you can do about it, right? Because Patrick Corbin's next on this list. He was, a, he was an integral part to that World Series run. Signed that year in free agency. 33 starts in 2019. Uh, a 138 ERA+, 14-7 record. Almost 11 Ks per nine innings for Patrick Corbin in that 2019 World Series run. Since then, he's 17-44. and 44. He's, he's got less than 8 Ks through 9. The ERA plus combined is 69. And in 2023, to start it off here, he's 0-2 with a 55 ERA plus. Not what you're looking for out of even your middle rotation starting pitcher. Uh, he's just completely fallen off a wall. He's owed another $59 million through next season, through 2024. Again, I think you're just going to have to ride this one out. Your team's not good enough to try to make an acquisition at this point in time. You're trying to develop young talent that you've acquired for Soto, for Trey Turner, etc., He's just going to have to be the elephant in the room. And unlike Strasburg can kind of stay away from things and make his money, unfortunately, Corbin's going to have to go out there and, and try to keep this thing afloat from his personal standpoint. And so far, he hasn't been able to do that. Certainly hasn't looked like he can do it this year as well. But almost $60 million through next season. Let's stay with former Nationals who helped win that 2019 World Series and then went elsewhere. Anthony Rendon signed the exact same deal that Steven Strasburg signed, only he did it with the Angels. Seven years, $245 million following that 2019 run. In 2019, for the Nats, he slashed 319, 412, and over one OPS with 34 home runs and 126 RBIs. He was phenomenal. He's one of my favorite players from that three, four-year window. 
He was doing it. He was a five-tool player. He was a hell of a third baseman. He was sort of the, uh, you know, the undetermined captain, not named Ryan Zimmerman, of that squad. So it was really tough to see him leave, especially if you follow that team and if, you're, if you root for that team, certainly. But he got bank. You know, the Angels were handing out money like, uh, like you wouldn't imagine to position players at that point in time. And Rendon seemed like a hell of a signing for them after coming off that season. Here's what it's been since. 251, 357, and a 777 OPS with a combined 20 homers and 89 RBIs. There's been health issues. There's been strikeout issues. It's all bad. It's all bad. Okay, the player that he was, and that wasn't just 2019. He was building up to that. He was developing into what looked like a player that was going to be all-consuming and light up the stat board. Let me tell you what I think happened to Anthony Rendon. There were certainly injury issues, and that impacted his ability to stay productive from a, a long-term standpoint. But the game changed rapidly over the past three, four seasons. It has. It's been a, it's been a home run and, and done yearly, as we know, and they're trying to change that right now with some of these rules. Get back to what what should align with Anthony Rendon's wheelhouse, which is go the other way, hit hit a couple of doubles, get yourself reestablished, find your rhythm, and then you can start to hit the ball out of the ballpark, kind of with ease. That's what he was doing at that point in time. The game just simply changed for a lot of players, and we saw a lot of good players. A guy I'm going to mention next as well, I think, really get impacted by. Everybody else in the room is doing this, and I'm still trying to do this, and the game's just not allowing me to do this anymore. I expect the shift rules to help Anthony Rendon, who's owed $140 million through 2026, and Christian Yelich, who's next on this list. Now, it hasn't been a great start to 2023 for either of these guys. Rendon's already been suspended for an altercation with a fan. He has yet to have a hit in four games. And Yelich is kind of the elephant in the room on a good Brewers team right now, a team that's mashing the ball left and right. I want to have the same conversation with Yelich, who was a 2018 MVP, a 2019 runner-up, and then signed a seven-year, $189 million extension right after those two seasons. These are those two seasons, 327, 415, 1.046, 80 home runs, 207 RBIs across two seasons, and not even two full seasons, 277 games in those two seasons. That's lethal, right? That is, I'm hitting the ball everywhere, and sometimes it goes out of the ballpark. In fact, 40 times a year, it goes out of the ballpark. What happened to that player? That player was impacted, in my opinion, by the shift, by the change in the game. And it took away the three or four bats that kept him in rhythm, that allowed him to jack 30 balls out of the ballpark. I really think this is going to be an impact on certain players that are multi-talented, that aren't just one-trick ponies. They can get out there. They can have an at-bat that's successful without, without being a home run or out being a, you know, a ball that goes 402 feet but gets caught at the line. Players are, are creatures of habits, especially players like this who have their whole life been taught in order to get back on track, hit the ball the other way. In order to get back on track, do this. Find a ball up the middle. The ball up the middle was impossible the last couple of seasons because if that's where they thought you were going – they were putting two infielders and an outfielder there to, to, to chop it down and throw you out. It's just not going to be possible anymore. And I really think these players are going to benefit from it. I'm hopeful because I want that style of baseball to get back. I want to see players that have the ability to do everything at the plate become the superstars of this league again. And Yelich should be that player. He's got $162.5 million left through 2028, $27 million per year for the next six seasons. So he better find it. 
All right. Otherwise, he's going to be tossed around and become that kind of elephant Jason Hayward type player, that contract that's just sitting there. And he's too damn good to be that kind of player. So it's been it's been wild seeing him, seeing Bellinger, seeing Rendon just kind of fall off the, the, you know, the cliff here. I expect there to be some change. I'm hopeful there's some change. Those are two decent teams in the Angels and the Brewers right now, kind of in the same boat, in my opinion. Uh, from a scoring runs versus you know having the pitching to keep you, keep you afloat right now, I'm hopeful these two players can get off this list this time next season. I, I'm not hopeful about Strasburg. I'm not hopeful about Corbin. I'm somewhat hopeful, although I don't know why I should be about this next player, Chris Sale, starting pitcher for Boston. Again, this is injury related. This is two and a half years of elbow injury, a rib injury, a finger injury last year that just suppressed all of his 2022. This is a guy that was on a Hall of Fame track with the Red Sox program that was, you know, obviously flourishing in the in the early in the late teens and the early 2020s. We know what this is going. And now they're a shell of themselves and they've completely had to basically restructure the front office, everything about them, the way they do business as a large market in Major League Baseball. Because to some degree of swings and misses like this. There was a 5-year, $145 million extension just before 2019. He was okay for the first two months of 2019, and then the elbow injury came about in August, and he really has not been back since, truly. He's pitched 200 total innings on this contract, and there's two years, 55 million remaining. There's a world where he stabilizes himself as a valid pitcher again. He's not going to be Chris Sale. I don't know why he's being asked to be the number two on this roster right now behind Corey Kluber, as we mentioned last week. To me, that's looter. That's just bad management. Okay. Even if your plan for Boston is reset the tax situation, not overpay right now. We understand what the Yankees are, what the Rays are, what the Blue Jays are. We're just not in the right window to oversell. Even if all of that is true, how do you not have three viable pitchers ahead of Chris Sale so that you can slow play him back instead of saying, hey, go out there and, and make 35 starts for us, man. You've, you owe it to us. It's just reckless. It's reckless. It's reckless to have Corey Kluber being doing, you know, and Corey Kluber doesn't have nearly the elbow issues that Chris Sale has had over the past five seasons. So I'm hoping for the best. There's a world where he's, you know, an average starting pitcher again, and the two for 55 looks actually decent for the next couple of seasons. I'm hopeful he can stay healthy. I just, uh, I don't think Boston has done enough to, to make this a simpler process and a gradual process back to his what could be 150 innings this year. couple more. I'll stay on the mound. Madison Bumgarner uh, signed a five-year, $85 million contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks after 2020, or excuse me, before the 2020 season, leaving the Giants, the team that drafted him, groomed him, uh, and he really flourished, especially in the postseason for them. You knew something was wrong when the Giants weren't paying. You just did. You, you knew that they knew they were smarter than everybody else in the free agent market at that point in time. And the fact that Arizona is the one that signed him probably tells you everything you need to know because they were in no position to sign a veteran massive contract like this at any point in time in 2020. But they did it. <laughs> okay. He's been the, uh, you know, a good soldier through this. He's made 67 starts in on this contract. It's been about a 7K per nine, 83 ERA plus. It's, it's fine. It's been fine. Let's put it that way. There's been, it's not a train wreck of a deal. It's not a train wreck of a situation. And if anything, having him there now to 
as some of these younger kids are promoted and come up through the system, it's probably worth every dollar to them. So with that in mind, intangible speaking, it's probably been just fine for Arizona. Would I prefer to see him in another franchise? Hell yeah. Okay. I would have loved to see the last couple of seasons of him being the fourth starter in on the Angels or the third starter on the Mets, for instance, and, and having a little bit more impactful, meaningful starts. But he is what it is. To me, the Giants knew exactly what they were doing. They knew there was a plateau that was about to either level off or start to slowly, gradually decline. It has certainly done that. He's owed $37 million through 2024. So this year plus one more year, not going to break the bank for anybody, Arizona, even if it's Arizona. And like I said, the intangibles in the locker room probably outweigh the lack of, you know, elite production that maybe could have come from somewhere else. Last one's an outfielder for the Yankees, Aaron Hicks. I can't believe he wasn't traded. I don't know why they wouldn't at least eat most of this remaining just to get him off the roster, allow him to have more production somewhere else, or at least attempt to have more production. Can't blame him for the deal. It was seven years, 70 million prior to 2019. You know, he had 250, 833 OPS in, in that 2019 or 2018 season. 27 homers, 80 RBIs. Obviously, we know now that was just a complete anomaly uh, and something that he he was flashing in Minnesota for a couple of seasons. That was certainly what he was prospected to do coming up the system. Uh, and he floored the Yankees because he hasn't been close to that since. Since 2018, on those numbers I just gave you, it's been 218, 333, and 697 on the slash. Combined 30 home runs, combined 111 RBIs in 278 games. He's a part-time player, and he's making you know 10 million per year. He's owed 30 and a half million this year, next year, and then through 2025. So there's two, almost three full seasons left on this contract. They're gonna have to eat some of this. They're gonna have to get him off the roster as soon as Harrison Bader is healthy and shows that he is worth an extension to stay in the Yankees as the center fielder, which I believe is going to be the case. And that at that point in time you find a suitor and you lock up and you retain a bunch of the salary and go from there. So I, I could have picked 10 more. I didn't. I wanted to keep this kind of brief, but as 2023 starts, these are the contracts that stare, are staring me in the face. With that said, there's a hell of a lot of great contracts staring me in the face in Major League Baseball, especially with the young guns. We talked about them quite a bit. Uh, you know, Dan Sullivan and I went through the Corbin Carroll one last week. There's a lot of, you know, the I think the Devers ones is right on the nuts. There's a lot of really strong deals that I, I love the Julio Rodriguez one. At some point in time, if he gets himself back in the MVP conversation this year, which I, which I think he will, we're going to break that one down again like we do Mahomes every couple of months, right? Because uh, it's fascinating. It's got a lot of wrinkles. And if he even sniffs an MVP, a lot of things change on, this, on that contract. So uh, a lot of great deals out there. Some, you know, some potential stinkers. I'm... I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm terrified for a couple of my Mets contracts right now, as as you'll see, because the injuries continue to pile up and you can't pay what they're paying and not win. You just can't do it. You're just you're not going to be able to sustain it. Certainly the uh, the fan base is going to revolt. And uh, it's just uh, it's that's the deal you, you, you sign when you put out three hundred seventy eight million dollars. And speaking of which, now that our pre arb contracts are all filled in and we've got a basically 100 percent complete deals now. We know what these opening day payrolls look like, and it is the Mets at the top of this list, handedly, by $70 million. There is a $70 million cash difference between the Mets and the Yankees, number one, number two, 344 and 277. The Padres come in at 3245, 
the Phillies at 243, and the Dodgers at 225 to round out the top five. If we look at the difference between one and 30, Mets are at 344 at the top. The Oakland A's are at 56 and change in the 30 spot. And they're going to look like it, all right, based on what we've seen now over the post- first couple of weeks. They're going to look like that for a while. Where's the value this year? Well, I can tell you right now, Tampa, obviously, 7-0 at 28th. They're just annual value. They just know how to do this. They know how to develop pitchers. And when you can develop pitchers that don't cost a lot of money, you're going to have success and value in Major League Baseball. That is just, that is the recipe. There are not many teams that can do that consistently like the Tampa Bay Rays can, and they don't get enough credit for their development. The Baltimore Orioles look like they're going to be hanging around. They're 29th right now at 65 million. They're largely built through their draft process. Uh, I expect them to be at least mildly aggressive if players fall off rosters, if you understand there's going to be trade candidates somewhat. Cleveland, 25th. 89 million. They're going to be around. They're division favorites again, and I think they're going to be there as long as the uh, pitching staff can stay healthy. Milwaukee, 20th. They let some players walk this year. They haven't paid Corbin Burns. They haven't paid Brandon Woodruff. There's reason to believe they will if they can stabilize. We talked about them last week on the preview show. And then Seattle at 18, who I really do think is going to find their sea legs at some point in time. Now there's some injuries there. But uh, I, I do think that they've done enough this offseason to at least consider themselves in that AL West division. Okay, last thing. Let's flip to the NBA real quick. The regular season is basically done by the time you're listening to this. And we're on to the postseason. Plenty to get to there. A lot of offseason stuff to talk about. Keith Smith's already doing the offseason articles. So please check those out at spotrack.com. And Keith Smith is now ownership of his own NBA Next podcast and newsletter powered by Track. So if all you care about is the NBA, I'm going to talk about it as much as I can. Keith's going to talk about it all the freaking time because he is an expert at it, follows it minute by minute, second by second. And it's the perfect time to follow Keith because what he loves the most are the intricacies of the finances and the rules and regulations of this league. And as you might know, the NBA just released at least some early reports of what this next CBA is going to look like, which is absolute geek food to Keith Smith. So A, he's got a phenomenal article on spytrack.com that is sort of like a question, answer, cause and effect type thing. Here's the reported uh, update, the reported change. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it actually means. And here's Keith's thoughts about what it might, what it might do to the league or what it might look like or how it might need to get changed. It's a phenomenally easy read on SpotTrack.com right now. The NBA and NBPA reached the CBA agreement. That's the headline you're looking for on SpotTrack.com. I'm going to give you the greatest hits real quick and some quick thoughts. The one thing that's not in here, it's not a part of the new CBA. They're actually just going to make this change that I want to make sure gets out there. The NBA is almost definitely going to change next season the way that the all-NBA process works. Right now, it is position-based. You pick a center, you pick a forward, you pick a forward, you pick a guard. You pick a... And that's fine. And for a lot of years, myself included, there was talk about should this... The league is basically positionless, right? Giannis is taking threes. Joker's doing everything. You got Russell Westbrook's of the league, you know, leading the league in rebounds. And th- I get it. It's a fluid game. But I'm not sure from a, an award standpoint... If you can just say, 
just give me the 15 best guys, five, five, and five for the All-NBA. And it doesn't matter if they're all guards. doesn't matter if they're all big men. Just give me the, five, the best three. Here's why. It's not as easy as that. this just being a list that gets thrown on Twitter. We've talked about this quite a bit. There are massive financial ramifications to this. A, if you are super max qualified, you can essentially gain yourself 40 to $45 million if you've agreed to an extension that allows you to increase that extension if you hit super max eligibility, which is all NBA, an MVP award, a defensive player of the year award, heavily reliant on awards, the, ma- the major awards in, in the NBA, which are, you know, right or voted. I don't know if I love that part of it. We've talked about that before. I'll leave that out. It's here. It's not going anywhere. There are going to be good players that get pushed. And by the way, here's the real problem I have, because more and more of these contracts are getting complex, as Keith has noted. We're seeing a lot more incentive-based stuff. We're seeing a lot more, you know, game playing time stuff, which you're going to see more of, because that's a big emphasis on this new CBA. They want their guys to play. And we're seeing especially with these rookie extensions that have super max eligibility, we're seeing tiers set up. So, all right, if you, if you reach an all NBA first team, you'll get the full super max contract. If it's a second team, you'll get 85% of that contract. If it's the third team, you'll get 75% of that super max. And if you don't make one, you're staying on the standard extension max. That's not going away either. Okay. Cause teams understand that they have leverage in that. Now, will players agree to it? That's obviously the part of it. But my point is that even hands more power to the voting process, which now is going to change. It's no longer required that you vote for a center for all NBA first team. You can make it five guards. You can do it right now. Or conversely, and I think that's where the league is right now. If it, if, if it was possible right now to have a positionless vote for all NBA, I don't know how you're not picking Giannis, Joker, and Embiid for a first team. Three centers. <laughs> three fives. All right. That's how this is going to look if it was possible right now to do it. It's going to be next year. And by the way, those three guys are going to be candidates again next year. So good players, right? Jason Tatum is probably not going to be a first team all me this year. Jalen Brown, is he even going to make a third team when it's going to matter most to him in a couple, in, you know, next offseason? There's going to be players that this really, really impacts, financially speaking. And we're not talking a couple million here and there. We're talking 40 to $50 million as this cap and tax continues to push and the max percentages go with it. I've never loved the process of voters being able to dictate money. I think that should be a negotiation between a team and a player and nothing more. But it exists. It's a fact. It's not changing this next CBA. But what is changing is the way that those voters can manipulate this process. And by the way, if you think that's not happening, you're just wrong. Okay. You're just wrong. Okay. A Boston voter is going to look, is going to look different than a Miami voter. That's going to look different than an LA voter. It's just a fact. A, I'm not even talking about like the collusion part of it. I'm talking about what kind of basketball are they watching throughout the year? How many players, how many voters on the West coast actually spend the time to watch the Orlando magic or to watch, you know, even the Milwaukee bucks on non-national, but you know, national guys. It's just not something that's easy to do, especially if you're talking East Coast to West Coast with the later start times. So I'm not knocking the voters as much as I am the ability, the power that they have here with what might not be a complete resume and a complete area to do so. Don't like this one. 
I think this one has to stay. Okay. I think this one has to stay because of the ramifications that can come with it. And I want players to get paid what they were, what they're worth. And I do not want voters to have the ability to suppress that pay at any point in time, at any point in time. And I, I get it. I'm complaining about 38 million per year versus 46 million per year. So I, I'm, <laughs> I understand that these numbers are absurd, whether it's A or B, but if the player deserves A, he should get A. That's my point. Okay, one or two more things with these new CBA reported updates coming next season. Um, I love that the exceptions are becoming more powerful. A, they're getting more expensive, which means better players will accept them on good teams. It'll be easier for teams, good teams to build, in my opinion, because you've suppressed the tax, you've added the second layer, the Steve Cohen tax is coming to the NBA, right? Which is going to really hamper some things once we actually understand the guts of that and just how ugly it's going to get for a team that goes into that super tax threshold more to come I'm, I'm looking forward to a good discussion with keith on that whole process because we just kind of had it with baseball and we, we understand where that is now and it's to me it's not strong enough but uh with the nba it sounds like they're going to throw the kitchen sink at this thing so we'll, once we have the actual guts of this cba look forward to a super tax episode because it's coming um they they increased the tiers, the tax tiers. And what I mean by that is if it was 10 to 20 and then 20 to 30 and 30 to 40, now it's going to be 10 to 10 to 25, right? So they made it, they gave you more wiggle room to become a tier one taxpayer, but still sign a player to a contract that is within the updated cap, right? If the cap goes up 10 million every year, and I think it's going to at least in this league, they're going to smooth it at 10%, even though an unbelievable amount of money is coming in three years then a $12 million player now is 14 to 15 next year. And if the tiers don't update, and in my opinion, they should flow. It should be, they should expand as the percentage expands. So if these are the tiers for a 10% increase, what happens if we have to go, or what happens one year if it only goes eight or if it goes 12, right? It's possible that once the smoothing expires, that we go back to a 15 million or 16 million increase. The tiers should increase with it. The percentage of the tiers should increase with it so that, a $15 million player can become a properly valued player whenever his contract is up. It shouldn't be luck of the draw, you know, like it was in 2016 for all those, those, those players that cashed in on ridiculous contracts because of the massive cap jump. It should, the whole process, process should smooth. The exceptions, increases, everything should smooth. It's one thing the NFL does pretty damn well, right? Your restricted tenders, your draft wages, your... Uh, franchise tags, everything kind of smooths percentage based properly as the cap goes up. Now, you know, the rookie wage scale is way too low in the NFL, but at least it does take step forward. The signing bonuses do pro progress forward with the cap increase. I, I hope that the NBA, which is very formulaic, always has been, builds that into everything at some point in time so that we're not just talking about first round picks are properly compensated and max players are properly compensated. But what about the seventh guy on the bench who is damn valuable right now, right? The Bruce Browns of the world. If he's a $7.5 million player right now, then in two years, if he's up for a contract and is still this valuable as a sixth man, that's got to be a $10 million contract. And the, the Denver Nuggets shouldn't be penalized for having to increase his pay because inflation has, has called for it, right? I want to make sure everything smooths together. That's my only concern with some of these random reports that we're seeing with the CBA. Um, the Jalen Brown deal got, got 
improved. It's not going to affect Jalen Jalen Brown. There's a 140% increase now on those veteran extensions within the rights of the season. And, you know, this one just, I, I, I can't believe this isn't being talked about more. But all the revenue that the league has been making from licensing logos and colors and, and basically team and player stuff has not been built in to the BRI calculation, which is the calculation that the players get 50% of at the end of the year. That's why salaries have been so low. That's now getting added in. So name, image, and likeness for a team, for a player in this league is now going to be baked into the cake of the entire pot. And the players will all benefit more from that. So tack on that international rights, massive streaming rights, massive TV rights, I can't even imagine what the revenue is going to be in this league in 2025. I can't. It's going to be astronomical. All right, right now, we're, we're about a $10 billion pot for the players over the last couple of seasons. That's the 50% the players have been dealing with. That's why our salaries are in the 60s right now. It's only going to go up. They're going to smooth it at 10%. That's baked into this uh, early part of this, this CBA. But the actual profit, right, because of the smoothing, is going to just widen and widen and widen. This league is going to be very, very healthy. Even if you think a random Tuesday night heat magic game isn't getting the ratings it once did. So push all that crap aside because guess what? The TV stuff has already been paid for and it's already been renewed with all of the ESPNs and the TNTs of the world. So it's, it's signed, sealed and delivered. So whether you're watching or not, the league is making buco buco bucks off this. It's a really financially healthy league. And you're going to start seeing some astronomical salaries coming with those cap projections and the cap max percentages that move with those increases. So stay up to date. We'll have Keith on soon to break some more stuff down. And like I said, we will focus solely on that super tax part of it when more is available to us. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.